Kia from your Every Nation Southside family here in Papatoitoi, Auckland. You are now listening to a podcast from our church service and we pray that you will be blessed by it. For more information, please visit our Facebook page or feel free to contact our church office. Welcome back to the second sermon in the series, The Gospel Demonstrated. We heard last week about James's life with, um, with Jesus and sort of imagined how he was with his brother or his brother being Jesus. And I just wanted to acknowledge my brother, he's just passing through, and uh, it's great to have you here with us. As I was preparing for the word, though, this week, for this morning, it became apparent to me that James's letter to the uh, Jewish Christians back in the early days of the church must have had a real impact, must have had a real impact on his life, especially with Jesus as your brother. In fact, the letter emphasizes that it's not enough to just talk up the Christian talk, but we must live it. In chapter 2 of the letter, verse 14, he says, What good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith, but don't show it by your actions? That seems to be the recurring message that we're going to have today is can that faith that you have save anyone and here James is emphasizing that the proof and reality of our faith is a changed life we've heard it time and time again that faith without good good deeds is useless how does your Christianity measure or appear to non-believers Does your religion look more holier than now? Is that how people see you? Yes, they go to church, but their lives certainly don't reflect what the Word is saying. Or they might be wondering, something's not quite right here. What religion are these every nation, Southside Christians spouting about? What are they practicing? What are they actually practicing? Or are we really a community church which gathers outside these four walls? Are we out there sharing with people the gospel, our faith, our testimony of how we had a changed life? Or are we out there showing good deeds of mercy and goodwill to others? That's what I love about um, Pepster. They open their churches to the homeless throughout the week and all the giving and all the charities that they, uh, and even just being charitable to us as a church as well. And so this series of sermons reminds us as believers of Christ. How many believers do we have in here? Right. Thank goodness for that. I thought it was just Otto and me, but uh, it's good to see those hands up. But the series of sermons, the the series that we have in the next couple of weeks, and last week as well we heard uh, Pastor Rowena speak, the series of sermons reminds us as believers of Christ that proclaiming the gospel is only part of what God has commanded us to do. The other part, as we see in this series, is to demonstrate the gospel. Demonstrate the gospel. We proclaim the gospel, but we also demonstrate the gospel. And as I said, how does the message from uh, how is the message of Jesus Christ, who paid the price on the cross for us, so that we may have eternal life with Him? How has that impacted you? How has it impacted me? And how is it impacting on others? 
You see, James, if we're thinking about James around that time, he and the apostles and the early church began proclaiming the gospel. They were sharing their testimonies. They witnessed some of the most important times of history to mankind, which was Jesus' life, his death, but more importantly, his resurrection. They were bearing witness Pretty much what we do today, doing the one-on-one, ministering to people, telling them about their changed lives, your changed lives. But they didn't just proclaim it. They didn't just do that. Their lives demonstrated the power of the gospel in their changed lives. So let's think of that. Proclaiming the gospel, but demonstrating the gospel. Listen to this. Genuine faith will inevitably produce good deeds. Genuine faith will inevitably produce good deeds. And this is the central theme of uh, James's letter. It's how we live a Christian life. Have a look at your concordance and read. What was the purpose of James's letter? But today in the hour or two that I have, James encourages us to put our faith into action. He does this by challenging our thinking about our religion. And so the heading of our message today is true religion. True religion. You see, the Webster's Dictionary traces the word religion back to the Latin words re and legare. Re means return and legare means, sorry, say it probably, legare. Legare meaning to bind fast. In other words, return to a bond or bondage with God. A bond between humans and a transcendental being or God through rituals and sacrifices and practices. Then there's a whole lot of other Um, definitions of what religion is but in general terms and I love this uh, breaking down of the 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 Latin root word of religion is that it's to return to God and to bind fast to this relationship we have with this God and we can see a typecast of religion in the book of Genesis where Abraham's faith is tested God asked Abraham to sacrifice his son on Mount uh, Moriah. And so as we read in uh, Genesis 22, verse 9, when they arrived at the place where God commanded them to go to, Abraham built an altar and then placed some wood on the altar. And then what he did next was he then tied, or in the Latin term, ligare, bound fast, his son, I'm not sure in the, in the theological um, uh, teachings about this situation, but I'm not, I'm not sure whether Isaac actually knew what was happening. But suddenly his father bound his hands together fast and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And you know the story, but before Abraham put knife to his son, the Lord intervened and provided a ram that just so happened to be walking past at at the right time. And the lamb, or the ram, was made as as a sacrifice. Fast forward, the rest of the story is that God blessed Abraham for his obedience. And so the Bible reminds us later in the book of Samuel, when the prophet is admonishing Saul for his disobedience and pride for building a monument, monument for himself, after routing the Amalekites, 
and also plundering the, the sheep and the cattle that he shouldn't have. In that situation, the prophet Samuel said to him, listen to me, Saul, listen. Obedience is better than sacrifice, and submission is better than offering the fat of rams. So this morning, God wants to address what true religion is by binding fast our hands, our feet, our hearts, our minds. He wants us to bind fast those things in the physical and the spiritual so that we can return back to him out of obedience. Today's word may challenge you or test you your thinking about what is true religion. And the purpose of testing, as we know, is to strengthen our character, deepen our commitment to God. Amen? Verses leading up to our main scripture today in James 1 verse 21 says, So get rid of all the filth and evil in your lives and humbly accept the word of God that has been planted in your hearts, for it has power to save your souls. The word has power. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Lord, I just thank you, Lord Father, for the opportunity to proclaim your word today, Lord Father, and to even just go through the teachings today, Lord, about demonstrating the gospel to the world, Lord. I just pray, Lord Father, that you minister to our hearts, strip off anything that would uh, hinder our thinking or our hearts from um, softening, Lord Father, to your Holy Spirit. But I pray, Lord Father, that you have your way, have your will, Lord, uh, to be done in our service today. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay. If you open your Bibles, tablets, iPhones, and your eyes if you're sleeping, to our main scripture today, which is found in James chapter 1, verses 22 to 27. And I will read from the New Living Translation, verse 22. But don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says, otherwise you are only fooling yourselves or deceiving yourselves. For if you listen to the word and don't obey, it's like glancing at your face in the mirror. You see yourself, walk away, and forget what you look like. But if you look perfectly, or in some versions, intently into the perfect law that sets you free, and if you do what it says... And don't forget what you heard. Then God will bless you for doing it. Verse 26. If you claim to be religious but don't control your tongue, you are fooling or deceiving yourself. And your religion is worthless. Your religion is worthless. Verse 27. Pure and genuine religion in the sight of God the Father means caring for orphans and widows in their distress and refusing to let the world corrupt you or pollute you. The word of God will test you, people. The word of God will test you, and you know that. You've walked it through. The word of God will test you. God spoke to Adam and tested him by giving him a number of choices in the Garden of Eden to choose life with God or be separated from him. God tested Moses as he led God's people to the promised land. And he even tested his son Jesus in the wilderness. And so the first, uh, we've got sort of three different headings here for our word today. And the first one, or well, the first test that we're going to look at is God tests your attitude. Everyone say attitude. 
God tests your attitude towards the word. And we see these, these, these two contrasts here in the word, in the scriptures that we have today under the heading, received or be deceived. Testing your attitude. Are you ready to receive or be deceived by the word of God? Verse 21 says, So get rid of all the filth and evil in your lives and humbly accept the word God has planted in your hearts. So that's the introductory verse um, before we go into our main scripture. James is saying, get rid of your old life now that you know the gospel of Jesus Christ and humbly receive the word of God. So he's setting up here something for you to challenge or have your attitude tested for before he rocks into 22 to 27. He's saying, now that you're saved, people, now that you're saved, receive the word of God humbly. Think of that word humbly as I'm, I'm going through the word. Humbleness, humility. Has anyone here been deceived or tricked into something? A victim of deception. Have you been a victim? It's not good, is it? Being at the, at the wrong end of the stick or being deceived. But what is worse than that is actually being, uh, what's worse than being um, deceived is this deceiving yourself or self-deception. That's actually worse, I think. Why is that? Because when you don't know yourself that you're being deceived and then you find out that you're actually living a deception, um, it's not a good thing. But many Christians actually are self-deceived. Many people are deceived towards God's word because of their attitude towards the word of God. And this is the point. Your attitude will determine whether you're going to receive the word or not. You just think of the examples of even when you came to the Lord, when you came to Christ and opened up your, your hands, your heart, what was, what was your attitude? It was one of brokenness, humility, humbleness. We must choose an attitude of humbly receiving the word of God. But you will not humbly receive the word of God if there is, what's the word? The biggest killer in our society today that starts with P, not it's not drugs. What is it? Yeah, we know that. It's the biggest killer, pride. You will not humbly receive the word of God if there's pride in you. If there's pride, there will be just that word of pride from the heart sort of linking to your ligaments and your bones and into your arm where your arm starts stiff-arming the gospel or the word or from humbly receiving the word. Pride, not for me. It's good for you, but not for me. Pride will always keep you from receiving. It hardens your heart to receive the gospel. This is the thing, you know, it was quite important, is that people whose security is in their own self-sufficiency, self-worth, or in their possessions are deceived. I'll say that again. I think Andrew got it. And I love it when Andrew responds, because it's got to be important. People whose security is in their own self-sufficiency, self-worth, or in their possessions are deceived. See, just like the Edomites who were the enemies of Judah, they thought that they were secure in their self-sufficiency, their buildings and possessions. And from a quick reading of the book of Obadiah, the Edomites had sort of built their buildings and their, their secure um, fortresses 
inside caves. So it was quite amazing all um, around that time. But they were secure about those possessions in their buildings. But as described in the book of Obadiah, chapter 1, verse 2 to 3, I must admit, I haven't often opened the book up to Obadiah, so have a look at Obadiah. It's a really short um, book. But it says in those verses, the prophet Obadiah prophesied to the Edomites, word from the Lord, I will cut you down to size among the nations because the pride of your heart has deceived you. And that seems to be common right throughout the Bible. You should know by now that God warns against pride. But God is looking for a people with contrite hearts that are saying, Lord, your word says that you're all-powerful. Your word says that you're all-knowing. Word says that you're everywhere. Teach me from your word. Discipline me from your word. Pour out your love on me from your word. An attitude of humbleness. You often hear, wow, that's, that sermon's that sermon's quite good. Yeah, it's, but it's for so-and-so. I know, I'm thinking about that person. Yeah, that word was for so-and-so. But you first need to respond to the word to say, how does it actually speak into my life? Let the word today, for you, for, um, today minister to you just as it ministers to me. Nudge the person next to you and say, this word is for you and me. Not too hard. But if we have a humility, we should ask ourselves, Lord, how is the word dealing with me? What is it teaching me? And we often deceive ourselves when we only hear what we want to hear. Is that right? We only want to hear what we want to hear. And I receive those blessings that have been spoken over, over me. But when things are not rosy or life's a bit of a struggle, it's, oh, Lord, why doesn't the word speak to my situation here? When am I going to get deliverance? What you're sort of saying there and what appears to be going on there is that you're actually deceiving yourself because the word never changes. God never changes. Jesus said, and I heard it today in our meeting, is that Paul encouraged the people, you must carry your cross daily because that's the attitude that Jesus wants you to have is that hum uh, attitude of humility is you receive the word of God is that once you receive the God, it prevents you from being deceived. You receive the word, receive the word, listen. It stops you from being um, deceived. Because deceived people, as I mentioned earlier, self-deception, don't know that they are being deceived. However, humility will guard you. So the first test of your true religion that we're talking about today is your attitude to hearing the word. When you do, do hear the word, are you a humble receiver of the word? Or do you harden your heart to deceive yourself about the word that is given? Moving on, let's have a look at the second test. So once receiving the word, God tests your action. Everyone say action. Action. Even just saying action. You know, there's something about it that causes you to move, move forward. God tests your action towards the word. There you go. Action towards the word. Are you a hearer or doer, though? This is the bulk of it, you know. Are you a hearer or doer? 
Or framed another way, are you an ineffective hearer or are you an effective doer? One doesn't do too much, the other one actually gets into, into it, gets their hands dirty. And you've heard the saying, actions speak louder than words. And so the word of God says, which one are you? Are you a hearer or doer of the word? Or do you merely front up every Sunday and hear the word but do nothing about it for the rest of the week? Or are you an effective doer? See, there's a joke about a man who walked into church late and he approached one of the ushers and said, is the sermon done yet? The usher replied, the sermon has been preached, but it has yet to be done. But in reality, the word of God is not just about preaching the word, is it? You're getting the, you're getting the gist. It's meant to be put into practice, put into action, put into people's lives deposited into the lives of people so that they can receive that change, that salvation. And so from verse 22 of our main scripture, it says, but don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Religion's about obedience, isn't it? You get it. Otherwise, you are only fooling or deceiving yourselves. For if you listen to the word, don't obey. It's like glancing in your at your face in the mirror, you see yourself, walk away, forget what you look like. If you look perfectly or intently into the word, however, it sets you free. We sang about it this morning. I'm free, you're free. The word sets us free. And if you, don't, if you do what it says and don't forget what you heard, well, God blesses you for it. So it's interesting for how James makes these comparisons of our response to the word in the form of a mirror. This is the mirror side of the, the, this particular sermon. Quite interesting. We all look into mirrors differently. Or is it the mirror saying something to you differently? Who looked in the mirror today, this morning? So those without any hands up, you think you might have needed to have a look in the mirror. Joke. Uh (laughs) we see that example in the example of Snow White and the wicked queen who looked into the mirror in Snow White in the Seven Dwarfs um, uh, story we see that in the example Snow White and the wicked queen who looked into the mirror and asked the mirror which never lied mirror, mirror on the wall who is the fairest of them all and the mirror replied, my queen, you are the fairest here, so true. But Snow White is a thousand times more beautiful than you. Sometimes you see what you want to see, but are disappointed when a truth is revealed. Men look at themselves in the mirror and see that they must have more muscles. On Who does that? And women even look in the same mirror, but they think they have more extra body mass than they actually have. Who does that? <laughs> See, just like the Bible, a mirror, uh, the Bible, a mirror which never lies, when the truth reflects back at you, showing the imperfections and sin in your life, you just want to slam it shut. These scriptures show us that God's word is a different type of mirror. It doesn't only reflect what we look like on the outside, but it's like a mirror to our soul. It goes surface but it actually looks straight through goes deeper pointing out those imperfections of our hearts minds attitudes towards the gospel his word points out 
points out, corrects, admonishes, disciplines, all that stuff. In verse 23 it says, if you listen, for if you listen to the word and don't obey, it's like glancing, key word here, glancing at your face in the mirror. You see yourself, walk away, forget what you look like. Whereas hearers are like those who only have a glancing look. It's like being in a traffic jam, you know, there's an accident and you're sort of chugging along and you just have a quick glance at uh, the police and the damaged vehicles and then you carry on. But it's just like rubberneckers who come to church maybe on Christmas or Easter. Oh, that was a nice word. Thank you for inviting me to church. I've got something on next Sunday. And then they just move on. Just rubberneckings, just having a look. Oh, what's that word? That's that's cool. They move on in life. But they just listen to the word, have a quick look-see, and then walk away. Spray and walk away. Okay. Let's Let's get that over. It just sounds so natural for the sermon, spray and walk away. That's what it's like for hearers. It's really glancing, it's really surface, it's really temporary. Again, I'll just mention the word so I can reinforce in your minds. If you listen to the word, don't obey, it's like glancing your face in the mirror, you see yourself, walk away, forget what you look like, hearers. You see, I know that Pastor Ulu um, sometimes jokes when he reads those scriptures about and the very hairs on your head are numbered, you won't last because he's got no hair. But when you get the microphone, you're up here, you sort of got to bear something, you know, in front of the church. So what I'm going to bear in front of the church now is I have a comb over. A bit like Trump. I have a comb over. Thank you, Lord, for gel. And I suppose I'm going to talk about my mirror testimony. And so the, the story goes something like this, key words. Glancing into the mirror one morning as I was um, running late for work, glancing in the mirror, just have a quick glance. I'm late for work. But I don't look intently into the mirror, glancing and intent. But once I got to work, I got into the lift. And, you know, in the lifts we've got some, some corner mirrors, and as I was heading up, uh, up the lift, I had one of those wow moments. Oh no, it's more of a whoa moment. Everyone say whoa. So once I got in the lift, remember I only glanced in the mirror that day. I had one of those moments. Wasn't, my hair wasn't like that. It was like that. It was like Adi Savir. Honestly, and my girls and Rochelle know that in the morning when I haven't got my hair gelled, the comb over is actually goes combs up, not over. And my office is on the top floor anyway, just to finish off the, the story is that you know I quickly rushed out and hoping that no one get in the lift, went to the bathroom and you know got some water and tried to comb it over for the rest of the day, you know, and had to go check my hair just to see if it wasn't coming back up again. So there you go, I'll be it all. But if you look carefully or intently into the perfect law that sets you free, if you do what it says, don't forget what you heard, then God will bless you for doing it. See, the lesson here is to stop. You need to stop and look intently into the mirror, not like what I did. You need to correct your hair. If you've got no hair, maybe blackheads or um, pimples or, I don't know, unflossed piece of chicken maybe that uh, you ate the night before. You need to stop. Look intently. 
So hearers and doers of the word, stop to examine the word of God. Make those adjustments in your lives, your hair, your face, to seek God's work, will in your lives, declaring the promises God has for your life, and so on. See, the more you keep God out of your life, this is the corollary of this, this is the opposite, this is, the more you keep God out of your life, by just turning up to church now and then, you read the old scriptures, comfort yourself in the funeral, when life um, storms come your way, God starts becoming more distant. I heard it again this morning, is that otherwise, if you, if you, if you behave in that way, if that's your religion, Jesus just becomes an abstract figure or person, somebody in history that you just read about. But God and Jesus is a living God. That's what transformed my life. It's deception all the years that I had in my life. Deception until I realized about who God really is. He is the Word. The Word of God is planted in us, we already mentioned but it needs to gain some root in your life. The word needs to be deposited and root, rooted in your life. And you see in Matthew, in the scripture here in Matthew 5, that, that, we, uh, that we know, therefore, everyone say therefore, therefore everyone who hears these words of mine, can just put it up on the screen, thank you. Adi can, um, moving. Moving along. Thanks, Adi. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down. The streams began to, um, to rise. The winds blew and beat against the house. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice, hearers, these are just hearers, is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the winds, uh, sorry, the, uh, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house, and it fell down with a mighty crash. You see, it's not only about the content of this word that's important, but what your intent is after you leave this place. What is your intention after you leave this place? What are you going to do once you've heard this word from God? Simple answer is you must put what you've learned into action. Intentional people search for the truth, but hearers only go as far as the surface. True transformation involves hard work. It's like going to the gym, building those biceps like Bucky has on his... Have you seen his biceps? Was it sorry, Jim? He's putting his out. Jim's biceps. It's the right to lie in church a little bit. But you know, you've got to go to the gym to build up these, these muscles, just like your spiritual muscles. You've got to build it up. You know, you have to do some heavy lifting and regularly. You may, you may say, Well, I'm a good person. I've heard the gospel. I sang, How Great Is Thou Art. I stood at Eden Park and sang the national anthem, God of nations at thy feet. That's not enough. And that's why I like this um, saying from the philosopher Edmund Burke, who, who was, I think, speaking about uh, the French Revolution, is that all that is necessary for evil to prevail 
is for good men to do nothing. It's amazing. A guy at work this Friday, um, we're just sitting there and we're discussing about, you know, fighting crime and trying to, and there was, seemed to be a resistance to uh, doing what we're doing. And just out of the blue, he said, he quoted this. As if we don't do anything, guys, if we don't get these guys, evil is going to prevail. All that is necessary for evil to prevail is for good men to do nothing. Are you not aware, people, that there is a spiritual battle? Mental health um, is, is rising. Suicide and youth rates are rising. Hate speech is increasing. There's a spiritual battle out there. Pornography, internet abuse, all the stuff. But for good men and women to do nothing in this culture would mean that evil will triumph. It might take a little bit more while before the Lord comes back for people to hear the gospel and, and receive changed lives. We may look the part as a Christian, but if the Bible is the mirror to our soul, sees no fire or intent to put into action our faith and what we have heard, again, we only become ineffectual hearers of the word and not effective doers. To transform the world of the gospel, we must be doers of the word. Re-emphasize it. Who wants to be blessed by God? Come on. Who wants to be blessed by God? Yeah, lots of hands. If you look carefully or intently in the word that sets you free, you do what it says, don't forget what you heard, God will bless you for it. Amen? You come blessed when you start by individually reading the Bible. As couples listening to each other, as singles even, you start attending small groups. You see, you become blessed because these people are like mirrors in your lives. They see those spots, those blind spots that you don't see. The lust in your life, the anger that you have, the jealousy that you have, the pursuit of happiness through work and um, toiling away in the worldly um, sense. Join on to these people. Listen to your wife. Listen to your husband. Listen to the pastor, people that surround you who can do good things in your life through the word. They help you free and keep to remain free and keep reminding you of God's word so that you don't forget. Okay, so the last test is uh, after attitude and action is God tests your application of the word to the world. God tests your application. Say application. So you've said three things, three, three key things in our, in our sermon today is attitude, action, and application. And in James's um, word around this, he contrasts or he um, brings forth to us this concept of purity and charity. Purity and charity. So our attitudes to... Attitude towards the word is important. Our actions towards the word is important. And thirdly, our application of the word to the world is important. You get that. James says that in order to apply true religion, so we're almost coming to the crunch here about what is true religion, to the world we must, to the world, we must first ensure there is purity in our attitudes and actions because that should then pour out as charity towards others. Our actions should uh, morph into something 
special there that the word talks about is charity. Verse 26 says, If you claim to be religious but don't control your tongue, you're fooling or deceiving yourself. Your religion is worthless. See, pure and genuine religion in the sight of God the Father means caring for orphans and widows in their distress and refusing to let the world corrupt you. He just had it sort of added that care for the orphans, care for the widows, but at the end of the day, refuse to let the world corrupt you or pollute you. Pollute you. How are you interacting with the world? How are you interacting with the world? In fact, how are you conducting your life in the world? If I was to ask somebody at your work to say, oh, what's so-and-so like? If I was to interview somebody for a job, and I know that person, how do they appear to you? What is their life like? James says, in order to be effective in demonstrating the gospel to the world, you must deal with your tongue. Why is that? Why do we need to deal with such a small part of your body? We know the answer to that because it's powerful. And you, you sort of see it in the world today, how one morsel of word or one paragraph or one sentence of word is powerful that can destroy nations, that can cause divisions, that could allow the whole economic system to, to crumble. Word is from your mouth is powerful. And uh, James warns us in these verses, you must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to get angry. Something that many of us may have had before we came to the Lord in our marriages. We're now quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. Proverbs 18.21 says that the tongue has the power of life and death. And those who love it will eat its fruit. You either love the, 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 the life part or the death part, like a fruit. What comes out of your mouth will reap. You will reap. Does it bless or does it curse? What fruit do you want to come out of your mouths? You see, you may drive out of the... Just something I thought, you may just drive out of um, a road here, out onto Pūnu Road from church here, and somebody... Suddenly, somebody cuts you off. What the bleep bleep does he think he's doing? I've just come out of church. I've had a wonderful service. Does he know what? I just ruined my bleep bleep. You go home angry, and then you go home and have a stink lunch. (laughs) Who's had those times? But the thing is, you've reaped what you've sort of sowed there from your mouth. You've poured out, you spewed something out. It's made you angry. It's made you sit down grumpy. No, I don't want to eat that anymore. No KFC for you, Nigel. You know? So be slow to speak, slow to get angry, listen more. Declare blessings over yourself, your family, your schoolmates, your work colleagues. Pray for people. Even your enemies, pray for them. Because God says he'll bless you if you do that. Try that, try that. Bless your enemies. Declare the power of the blood of the Lamb and healing in Jesus' name over people. Life, life-giving words. See, James describes pure and genuine religion and religion as charitable acts. 
He's almost landing the plane for us in the sermon here. After all that, receiving the word, doing the, listening to the word, doing the word, applying the word, um, he's now saying what pure and genuine religion is. It uh, produces itself in charitable acts. That is to serve and care for the widowed and the most vulnerable in our society, such as the fatherless, God's heart of charity or compassion resonates right throughout the Bible. So as effective hearers and doers of the word with pure hearts, we should now have a heart of compassion towards others by caring for the poor, serving for the aged, aged, praying for the needy and reaching out to the destitute. Try practicing, practicing that. Go out to the needy. And I hope from this word and I hope from what we're doing as, an, as a um, movement and an organisation is that we start looking beyond what we're doing and actually go out and serve. We've had a, um, some, some, of the, some glimpses of that. We've got the rise uh, um, um, form, forming in it as part of our church's commission to go out into the community to reach the youth But that's what happens when we get all those ducks in order is that we become charitable. We have compassion towards others. And if we practice what we preach, go out to the areas that we don't normally hang out with, um, then we're blessed for that. Um, Blair, uh, Rochelle said, don't go away from your notes. But um, this morning Blair was mentioning uh, how the sort of gang member-looking guy that um, sort of came and came to him sort of asking for petrol and um, correct me Blair but he wanted I can even siphon it from your cows so it just sort of touched Blair's heart that um, he said no no I can't help but as he drove off he went to a petrol station bought a jerry can put petrol in it and waited for this guy and uh, saw the guys in in the distance called them back and Blair Although he was a bit, bit, uh, bit scared because this guy had tats and you know, he, was, he looked like he had some gang affiliations. That didn't stop what was going on in Blair's heart. You know, heart of compassion, you cannot stop. That's why Jesus, you, can't, you couldn't have stopped him from going to the cross and doing what he did. You begin to have that charitable um, um, heart of compassion towards other people. A visitor to Mother Teresa in 1976 in the slums of Calcutta, India, recorded her experience to the, um, as she went to the Institute of Dying. Who's ever heard of going to a building? It's called Institute of Dying. You go to a hospital where people get um, treated. But here was Mother Teresa working in a building called Institute of Dying. Um, but this was a, a, a hospice that Mother Teresa was um, running. It was inside an old monastery. But once this visitor um, entered the building, she was greeted by Mother Teresa, and inside were 56 men, all skin and bones, people that Mother Teresa had taken off the streets every day so that she could f- uh, feed them and bathe them. And one of the men 
looked up to this visitor, knowing that you know, she wasn't a regular there, said, I once lived like an animal, but here I'm dying like an angel. Mother Teresa leaned over, leaned over to him and kissed him. And I think what happened was um, this, this, this man, you know, inevitable, inevitable that he was about to die. Mother Teresa died when she was 87. She had been serving in this community in Calcutta uh, when she arrived there as a 19-year-old. So around over 68 years, as a 19-year-old, Mother Teresa was serving this community out of her compassion for the um, destitute. And finally, I'll end with this. In order to be effective hearers and doers of the word, refuse to let the world corrupt you. Don't conform to the patterns and customs of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. Why does it say that? Because then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, which is good, pleasing and perfect. True religion comes from not only proclaiming the gospel, but demonstrating it through your attitudes, actions, and application. I'll finally end with this scripture. The Bible says that the message is very close at hand. It's on your lips and on your heart. And that message is the very message that we preach, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God, and it's by confessing with your mouth that you are saved. What a wonderful, wonderful gospel that it is. The scriptures also tell us anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Amen. Let's bow our heads in prayer.